We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone today by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And great to be here. And in Kaohsiung, we're going to speak with Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. And we'll begin with continuing concern over the Delta coronavirus variant, which of course has been confirmed in Pingdong. Now, the cluster in Pingdong originated with a woman and grandson from Fengshan Township, who returned to Taiwan from Peru on June the 6th. Now, according to the health minister this week, tests on over 6,000 residents in two Pingdong townships where the Delta variant cases have occurred, as well as 392 staff and patients at a hospital being investigated as a possible site of transmission, have all come back negative so far. But of course, Michael, there's still concern because of course you're right next door to this. You're in neighboring Kaohsiung. Right. So uh, Fangshang is about, um, if you want to just uh, put it in terms that some people might uh, understand, it's about halfway between Kaohsiung and the beaches of uh, Kending. And that area probably has uh, anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 people in the immediate surrounding area. So a woman uh, in her uh, mid-60s, I believe, returned from Peru with her grandson. And uh, the she was picked up, I believe, by an unlicensed taxi driver, which is uh, still, unfortunately, quite common down in Pingdong. So the good news, as you just noted, is uh, most of the tests are coming back uh, negative. There was a, a farmer and his wife who went to the hospital in Fangshan, and uh, they picked it up from being in a room next to an infected person. But the, uh, the measures that were uh, immediately put in by the government seem to have had effect, and it seems to be contained. But yes, it's something that is on the minds of a lot of people in Kaohsiung, especially the mayor, who uh, recently a lot of people have been noting how his hair has been turning white. And uh, some people say, well, he's not dyeing his hair anymore. And uh, he says, no, I'm not sleeping because I'm worried that Delta might be here next. So uh, he's definitely worried about it. The local government is. And uh, the, the, I guess the, the only frustrating thing with this, uh, this story and some of the other stories related to COVID uh, all over Taiwan is the demographics that we're talking about here. You know, uh, people in their... 60s and 70s are are the ones that are not really taking this seriously enough. This individual who spread the Delta uh, variation, she she was told that she was supposed to be at home mostly, uh, you know, self-monitoring. And uh, from reports, she went out and took out the garbage and chatted with neighbors and went over and checked on somebody as they were going to the hospital and you know just didn't didn't do things uh, seriously. Then you have a potato, sweet potato vendor in a building in Fengshan, in, in Kaohsiung City itself. She's also in her 70s. She didn't comply with the government's thing of using a QR code. And I, I don't know what Donovan uh, has experienced in central Taiwan, but for me down here, the only people that have, like, uh, argued with staff going into establishments about not wanting to use QR codes or have brushed past it and just snuck in without doing the requirements are people in the 60 to 70 or older demographic. And what's frustrating about this is that this is the demographic that we're doing all of this to try to save. 
and um, it's it's I'm, I, you can't uh, put too much of a lump and say all all of them. Obviously, you can't uh, uh, generalize, but too many, uh, in my opinion, and uh, other people's opinions as well, have just not not really been uh, 100% with the the the, the uh, efforts this, that everyone else has been making. So anyway, good news and uh, lots of hope. So Donovan, I mean, concerns about the Delta variant in Taichung, and of course, people not doing what they should be doing, not be not doing what they're told to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Well, I mean, yeah, of course, there have been concerns here, um, but the and there was uh, some cases, I believe, of the Delta variant where they were they were being taken care of here in hospitals, but they they were pretty well contained. Um, the Michael pretty much covered the whole thing, uh, you know, as far as the Delta variant, and that's kind of in his his neck of the country. But I can add to it a little bit that um, the Peru granny, uh, as the press locally dubs people, is was actually very similar to some some of the cases uh, here in central Taiwan, although they weren't the Delta variant. Uh, if you go, go go all the way back to the original outbreaks last year, one of the biggest outbreaks was linked to someone coming back from overseas who took an unlicensed an unlicensed taxi from the airport, infected the taxi driver, and took it from the Taichung Airport into Zhanghua. Uh, Zhanghua has been actually particularly hard hit. Relative, relatively speaking, uh, in, in some of the most recent outbreaks, again, two people linked to uh, from Zhanghua who went up to Wanhua. One is the grape mother, is, as the press dubbed her, and the religious ceremony uh, outbreak. Again, both of them, they went up to Wanhua, uh, the Wanhua district in Taipei, came back and then turned into super spreaders, you know, attending weddings and things like that. But overall, as far as the compliance, at least in my neighborhood, which is kind of a working class sort of neighborhood, most people are complying. Um, but the what I've noticed is that the enforcement level at the at the various shops has dropped. So you know, before you go into a shop, you you make sure you either fill out your form or do your QR code, and then the staff at those uh, places would often asked to verify that you've done it. And I've noticed that the number of places doing that verification has dropped significantly. Yeah, I but agree. I've noticed that most people going in are still doing it. I mean, is that concerning Kaohsiung, Michael? Yeah, same thing, uh, exactly like that. Um, the it, it used to make me really happy when, you know, I would do the QR code and I would go in and someone would stop me and say, can you show me and prove that you did that? But that is dropping. Uh, so if you wanted to flout the rules and just sort of hold up your phone and pretend that you're doing it, you could get away with it. And I worry that uh, too many people might be doing that. So that's a, yeah, that's a concern. I mean, what uh, yeah, I actually, I actually went accidentally walked into a shop, forgot to do that, did all my shopping and walked out and then uh, realized I'd actually forgotten to do my QR code. And nobody asked and nobody noticed. And of course, I mean, two weeks ago, people would have asked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So once again, we're we're having that same problem of getting, you know, just almost to the end of a, a, a hard fought race and then getting a little bit. Uh, what's the word? Uh, complacent. Yeah, exactly. 
Anyway, talking about possible complacency and possible areas where people could be complacent in the coming weeks, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong on Wednesday of this week said the Central Epidemic Command Centre is not ruling out the possibility of allowing dine-in services at restaurants after July the 12th if the number of domestic coronavirus cases continues to decline. And on Thursday, the Central Epidemic Command Centre released some of its guidelines that officials say could allow dine-in services to resume. The guidelines include staggered seating, the maintaining of social distancing and routine disinfection. In addition to using table dividers, restaurants will also need to have measures in place to protect their employees and ensure that all customers leave their names and contact information. Now, the Tourism Bureau says it's also drafting its own reopening proposal in the event the government decides to reopen the island's 13 national scenic areas after July the 12th. So I'll start by saying here that I will not be going to enjoy any dining services for the foreseeable future. But, I mean, Michael, in Kaohsiung, do you think people will be flocking to restaurants in Kaohsiung if dining services are allowed? And there's so many restaurants, so many small eateries, and, of course, they're going to make this for night markets as well. I mean, that, that sounds like a disaster possibly waiting to happen. Well, with our weather down here currently being so hot, um, I think if that were to happen, a lot of the ones that would benefit would be the uh, the ones that have open air seating and they'd be able to move a little bit away from each other. Um, let, let's put it this way. The, the, the restaurant industry really has been hurting, and that, there's a huge segment of uh, local people here in Gaoshan that work in that industry, and they haven't been paid in a very long time. So I feel for these people, and I understand the frustrations that uh, they have well, have had for these months, but I also understand where you're coming from, and uh, it's, a, it's a balancing act that might be able to be pulled off. Um, the one that I'm... Um, more interested in because we have the Kending area down here was what you were just talking about the tourism bureau so they're talking about how they could open scenic areas because right now the beaches are all closed uh, completely all across the uh, uh, Pingdong and Kending they would reopen at 50% of capacity so I was just looking at bookings for hotels in Kending and they're fully booked like jammed all the way after the 12th so evidently a lot of people have faith that there's going to be some reopenings uh, after the 12th but how do you have 50% capacity at a beach? What does that mean? Um, how do you keep, you know, what is 50% capacity at a, a mountain or a, a hiking trail or something like that? I just don't see how it works. I mean, I personally would very much like to go to the beach. It's my favorite place to be at this time of year. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of us have some, some serious reservations. Although it really would be nice if these uh, uh, restrictions were lifted. Well, I mean, obviously you can you can use those uh, strips of black and uh, black and yellow sticker. You can just put those on the beach to separate people <laughs> for the social distancing. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we we were wearing masks on the beach the last time we were there, which was a pretty funny. People were even going into the water with them on. So it, it's just tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 now, what's interesting is actually yesterday um, at the CCC uh, briefing, you know, their, their daily 2 p.m. briefings, they did announce that they are considering lifting level three uh, on, uh, on uh, you know, after the 12th, which, you know, means a com- you know, potentially, you know, we'd go back to level two. So that would mean not only just in, you know, indoor dining, that would mean a return to a semi-normal life. And so that's actually in the cards right now. Over the last week, the the 
the case counts coming in have not followed the patterns of the last few weeks. If you notice, if you have been following the numbers on the caseloads that have been coming in now for over a month, you'll notice that the pattern is is that the number of cases on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is lower, and it dipped below 100. The, this over this last week, but in in previous weeks, the way the way that it would generally work is that it would dip because the testing over the weekend was were, there was less testing over the weekend, and so there was a there would be a dip, and then the numbers would rise about Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday would rise back up, and then it would then it would dip back down over the weekend through through Monday, but what's happened is is this last week is the Sunday-Monday numbers dip below 100 and have stayed below 100 this week. They have not ticked back up. And yesterday, the number was actually a record low, and it was a Thursday, which normally would be, the, which on most weeks, would be the, fir- the, the peak of the week or the second highest number uh, for that week. So something is, you know, during this last week, it looks like something has changed in terms of the pattern. It's starting to look like they are generally getting this under control. They also, you'll notice uh, during those CCC briefings, they, they've been putting a little number at the bottom of the new domestic cases. So yesterday it was 47. There was a small number underneath, which is 21, and that number is the number of people who were actually di- who were diagnosed while they were already quarantined. In other words, these people weren't out in the wild. And I've noticed that for the last few days, about 40, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of the new domestic cases were people they already had under quarantine. So the number of people for the last few days who've been out in the wild who got diagnosed uh, has been in the 20s. So it's pretty low for a country of 23.5 million. And this uh, speaks well to the actions of, say, Chen Shi Mai here in Kaohsiung, who uh just this last week, they found one case or two cases in a building. He evacuated within like two hours. He had the entire building evacuated, put on buses and sent to quarantine centers. Uh, and then, you know, there's just these kind of drastic actions of quickly isolating one area. If they can keep that up, uh, yeah, Donovan, maybe. Yeah, I mean, in here in Taichung, we've had, I think, one case in a week and a half. Um, and by the way, I, I did see those TV reports on Chen Chi Mai's hair, and uh, of course, when we get through all of this, we definitely need to send him some, some hair dye. But I mean, do you think the, the numbers could be low, Donovan, because maybe people aren't getting tested? Okay, so that's... <laughs> all right, so that's the allegation that um, the United Front coming out of China, the Global Times, and the KMT have been pushing. That the reason that the number of cases is so low is because the testing is not that widespread. And, of course, Chen Shijong, the health minister and the head of the CECC, has openly said that the test, they don't want to do mass testing. And the, they also have been going on about how the death rate has been particularly high uh, relative to the number of cases, uh, about double the world average. So there's several several moving pieces on this one. The the testing this could be a valid criticism, although the number the number of tests that have been conducted has expanded very significantly uh, over the last few weeks. But the reason why uh, Chen Shijong and the CCC hasn't wanted to do 
total mass testing is they can't process enough of them and they don't want to deal with hypochondriacs and a large number. So they've been trying to limit the tests to people in areas or people in areas where it's been hit, people who have symptoms, people who have come in contact with, you know, with known cases, rather than just spread panic throughout the public. That's been their general line. Whether that's a good line or not is, is a, an open question. I really don't know the answer. The price to that. for getting a, a test, if you want it on your own, is uh, rather staggeringly high. Mm-hmm. Something it in is. the order of like five thousand NT. Yes. Uh, although they, the home tests, although they're not terribly reliable, have just started hitting the stores. So nice. those are pretty cheap. They're they're, they're quick and dirty. They they well, I forget that something like seventy percent reliable. They're they're not super reliable. Um, but the. Um, now, as far as the death rate, and this is this is a particularly key statistic, uh, Taiwan's death rate was four something, four point something, um, uh, compared to the number of cases, and two point something worldwide. Now, this would suggest, if you just looked at the, those numbers there, that Taiwan probably th- therefore has twice as many cases as are being reported, assuming that Taiwan's death rate were world average. The problem with that logic is that Taiwan is an aged society. Taiwanese are considerably older on average than the than the world average. And Taiwan has, according to the CIA, this year has the lowest birth rate in the world. And it's been one of the lowest in the world for decades now. So the percentage of people with chronic diseases who are elderly, there have been health, uh, there have been uh, nursing home outbreaks that have skewed the numbers. So there may be a little bit of truth in the sense that there may be more cases out there in the wild that haven't been caught, haven't been found. Uh, but the the fact that the Taiwan's an aged society, ISIS, and with people with chronic diseases, that looks more likely to account for most of that. Uh, there may be some some uh, you know, some of that criticism may be correct in that there may be some more cases out there that they haven't caught because they aren't testing as much as they possibly could. But I think in general that criticism is weak but possible on a small scale, not anywhere near on the kind of scale that they're implying. Well, uh, uh, aside from that, the other criticism, of course, has been that uh, Taiwan's death or averse reaction to the uh, vaccines that have been given has also been higher than in other places. And from what at least uh, non-biased scientists seem to be saying, this is uh, simply not accurate and is being used as a form of propaganda. And it also appears to be a source of disinformation from our friendly neighbor, China, which uh, is, of course, always exploiting a chance to make uh, you know, divisions in Taiwan, Taiwanese society. And this is a, a great opportunity. And it also seems to be driving down the amount of uh, particularly elderly people who are willing to get the vaccination. So uh, this is problematic. And of course, yeah, and you can add to that. I mean, the, the Taiwan so far has been prioritizing people who are 75 years and old, 75 years, uh, who are age 75 and up. So that means that those that population, the number of people who are going to have some kind of adverse health a problem following 
the having a vaccine is extremely likely because they're just simply that old. And yes, uh, the studies have that they've looked into it, and it does appear that pretty much everybody's had an adverse problem of some kind, a health problem of some kind. And if you watch following the, the news, vaccine is not connected to the vaccine. You they're watch the news old. and see them vaccinating a person who is 97 years old, is paralyzed in a wheelchair, and then there's some worry that they had a, a reaction. Uh, I, I have to, I hope, I hope I don't sound cruel, but I just have to wonder why they were vaccinating that person. And, of course, I would assume that putting a needle in a 97-year-old uh, person's arm who is already sick is probably something that's going to make them have a reaction. It's you, unfortunate. Here's something interesting is, is I noticed that Zhang Hua is they specifically prioritized with the Moderna uh, vaccines coming in. They specified specifically people age 74 to 85. In other words, people over the age of 85, they were not prioritizing. That seems sensible. And looking at the numbers of those deaths we were just talking about there, vaccination allegedly related deaths, figures in fact show that since the government began vaccinating nursing home residents, senior citizens over the age of 74 and dialysis patients against the coronavirus on June the 15th, there have in fact been 240 post-vaccination deaths. Now the deaths have been reported in people aged between 41 and 100. And of course, you mentioned the KMT there before Donovan, of course the KMT is now demanding an investigation into this. I mean, do you think it's too early for an investigation no uh, i mean you know this is something you really should track i mean when when you're conducting essentially what's a large-scale experiment medical experiment on the population uh you know these vaccines have been developed in record time usually it takes up to 10 years to develop vaccines these are hitting populations very rapidly and the, the the original vaccines were developed in European countries, and of course it's possible that that East Asian populations or uh, other ethnic populations could have slightly different adverse reactions to something that was developed there. Uh, so, I mean, you, you know, if you, you for medical reasons, you definitely want to keep an eye on this. Having you know, it, and so the the that the medical authorities should be keeping a very close eye on this, which it appears they are. Um, I, you know, that is definitely something that should be going on. Whether there should be a political investigation, I certainly don't think so. Uh, not yet. But the medical authorities do seem to be on top of it and are reporting numbers, which are feeding what the other KMT is using to, to report. So, yes, should, the, should this be followed and carefully monitored? Absolutely. And uh, should there be a political uh, political type investigation at some point, quite possibly, that, that would be reasonable. I think right now the numbers are too low. The number of people who have been getting vaccines has been limited to an elderly population and a frontline population, so it's not indicative of the pop- population at large. So I think it's, that's a little bit premature. It would be a different story, of course, if uh, the vaccines that were primarily being given were made in Taiwan vaccines that were uh, approved by, you know, local authorities. That would be a different story, in my view. So that'll be happening soon. <laughs> anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And 
and welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And we've just been talking about vaccines and we'll continue with vaccine news. As Health Minister Chen Shih-jong this week confirmed reports that Taiwan is in talks with foreign companies to manufacture coronavirus vaccines on a contract basis. However, the Health Minister didn't provide any specific details, saying only that the talks to produce vaccines developed by foreign companies here in Taiwan are underway. But there's no guarantee the talks will succeed. The Health Minister also stressed that success will depend on whether Taiwan has the technical capabilities and the production capacity necessary and also that the companies, well, their own plans and how they're going to sell and distribute the vaccines once they're made here. Now, apparently, the National Health Research Institute is refusing to confirm these reports about who it's talking to, but reports say they are talking to Moderna. And the Institute has only said that the chances of success and of signing a deal to basically contract manufacture coronavirus vaccines here are low due to questions over the production capacity of the local manufacturers. Talking of which, local drug maker United Biomedical this week announced that it's now applied for emergency use authorization here in Taiwan for its coronavirus vaccine candidate. The application comes after the company released the interim results of its phase two clinical trials last weekend. Now, of course, there's also another company here called Medigen that's talked about its coronavirus vaccine candidate and of course it submitted its paperwork to the Food and Drug Administration well in early June but unfortunately this week the FDA came out and said that it's basically it's got to delay the review of Medigen's vaccine because of well Medigen didn't in fact provide all the documentation needed with the FDA saying well there was missing documentation and now we're not going to be able to review their case until well later this month so Michael I mean we've got three things there or two things basically but I mean we'll start with the local drug company touting its coronavirus vaccine sending it for emergency youth authorization with the FDA and then failing to send all the documentation yeah it's disappointing uh, because uh, uh, just taking myself as an example um, I was one of the ones who was telling, you know, friends and, and co-workers that, uh, you know, I have reasonable faith in Taiwan's medical system, and if uh, they were to get emergency authorization, especially if the FDA were to sign off on it, I would be willing to roll up my sleeve and get that jab, and then they have to do something like this. So uh, just every one of these missteps is, uh, is you know, it's leading to yet another person who's going to decide that their, their vaccine hesitancy has something valid to it, and they're probably going to avoid vaccines uh, possibly in general. So a very unfortunate move. But uh, the good part would be if uh, the Moderna or whatever other company uh, gets the license to be able to make in Taiwan, I think we definitely have the uh, capacity, the labs and all of that, the, the, the technological prowess, you might say, to be able to do that if the license and formulas were all given. So hoping for that one. Donovan. Yeah, I, I, there was originally some talk, actually, a week, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about locally uh, making uh, vaccines, and I think it was Pfizer BioNTech. I, I could be wrong. Maybe it was Moderna, um, but the those talks broke down because the the company overseas was demanding that Taiwan be able to make, I believe, it was um, three hundred million uh, doses uh, annually, and and the Taiwan response was we could make maybe a hundred million that was about as much capacity as taiwan had and the what's changed is that now the national uh, institutes of health here have gotten involved this got muddled up into the uh, the tifa talks with the u.s the trade talks 
that just invo- that got involved in the U.S. This is reportedly. We don't know the exact details of what went on, but apparently this was a topic that was brought up. And the idea that Taiwan, now the government's involved, could possibly do, I think it was 500 to 600 million over a six to eight month period. It was something along those lines um, that they, they believed that they could do that kind of capacity, which a couple of weeks ago was not on the table, but then again, the government wasn't involved. Uh, to the same degree. So I, I'm, what I'm, what I'm kind of curious about is why did this national capacity to produce vaccines jump from we can't do any more than 100 million in a year to we can do 500 million, uh, 500, uh, sorry, I think it was uh, five uh, Maybe it was 50 million or more, or 500 million or more. But it was a very staggeringly large number in six six or six months to eight eight months or something like that. What, where this giant capacity change came from? Is that just because the government is more behind it, or is there something that we don't know about here? There, there seems to be some weird disparities in these numbers. So I don't really know what's going on there, because all of these talks are. These are reported as from sources related to the incident. So there's a lot of kind of vague sourcing on a lot of these numbers. And so I'm really actually unsure of what Taiwan's capacity is and whether or not Taiwan can or cannot handle it. We just don't know. I don't think we have enough in solid information that's reliable at this point to be able to say Right, and moving on, moving in fact, moving on to vaccination tourism, where Lion Travel, which is a rather well-known local travel agency, this week said that it's been selling hundreds of tours to Guam as people are seeking to take advantage of the American territory's offer to vaccinate tourists against the coronavirus. Now, according to Lion Travel general manager Andy Yu, as of Wednesday of this week, his company had sold about 600 five-day packages tours to Guam, and two of the bi-weekly flights that going to that destination are. Are already fully booked. However, Yu says his company's package deals do not include the cost of the three coronavirus tests and two vaccine shots, which total 880 US dollars per person under Guam's Air V&V program. He also said that customers who wish to be vaccinated in Guam must arrange that themselves with the authorities there. And the Lion Travel Bod also stressed that the company will not be accepting any responsibility for medical issues that occur after the vaccinations. So, of course, we talked about vaccination tourism some weeks ago on the show. But Donovan, I mean, would you pop on an aeroplane and pop off to Guam to get a vaccine for 880 US dollars? No, because I'd have... I think Guam and the United States in general are probably more dangerous than here. I live in Taichung. We've had one case in a week and a half. It's pretty safe here. Um, And then you'd have to go there, presumably, and do two weeks quarantine. And then you'd have to come back and do quarantine here or self-health monitoring, I suppose, if you're fully vaccinated. Um, it, it just seems really expensive, extremely time-consuming, and it, 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 and I'm in a pretty safe place. Now, if I were, say, like you, living in New Taipei, and I was looking to travel or had some reasons why I had to be outdoors a lot, because I can work from home, so it's fine for me, but if I were, like you say, in New Taipei and had to go out for work and had to meet a lot of people and under, under certain circumstances, then yes, I think it would make quite a bit of sense. And Michael, what about vaccination tourism? Good thing, bad thing, or eh, questionable? 
Well, I've got uh, friends here who have uh, already gotten on flights, uh, one to California, another to Houston, and they are uh, hanging out there for, I guess, as long as six weeks because you got to space out the shots and uh, flying back. And all I can say is uh, good for you if you happen to have that uh, uh, extra money in your bank account, and uh, that's, you know, uh, you have every right to do that, but uh, it's obviously not an option for the majority of us here. So it's not even really something I think about or I think most Taiwanese people think about. It's, uh, it's a privilege for a select few. But do you think Lion Travel is doing this to cash in on it or to simply stay afloat? Uh, why not both? Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they probably do need the, uh, the, the money to stay afloat. And uh, at the same time, they see an opportunity. I, I wouldn't criticize them for that specifically. And moving on from vaccinations to the Miaoli County government, which on Tuesday of this week ended its controversial stay-at-home order for migrant workers, saying it was scrapping the policy as the number of new coronavirus cases recorded among that group has now fallen. The county government says while some migrant workers continue to test positive for the disease in Miaoli, they've all been in quarantine because they were contacts of previously confirmed cases. Now the Miaoli County government, of course, banned migrant workers from going outside, with the exception of travelling to and from work on June. June the 7th. Now, the measure was introduced after three electronics companies in Miaoli reported cluster infections. But, of course, Donovan, it caused a bit of a stink. Yes, I mean, and it made the uh, international press, for example, the Financial Times, I believe, covered it, and uh, I think it was the Telegraph. Um, frequent guest of the show, Nicholas Smith, she, she reported on it as, as well. I mean, it was a, it was a blatantly racist and discriminatory policy uh, and seemed to take it, it seemed to be assuming that for some reason that foreign workers were were either somehow inherently more dangerous or didn't care about catch, catching the disease themselves and would flout all the rules which of course is patently nonsense um, and so this uh, did create some some reaction, and uh, you know, and in the international press as well, which was really quite disturbing for Taiwan's image as well overseas, but most disturbing for the the, the workers that are are employed in those companies. And the problem, of course, is is that they're packed into these dorms like sardines. The companies that hire them put so little money into, or they subcontract it out to the brokers their housing arrangements, which are usually uh, dorms with large numbers of people in very small spaces. Um, so they create a perfect uh, vector environment for, a, for spreading disease. And it's, they have no privacy, no room, no, it's really quite a disturbing situation. And then they essentially locked them in, which is a kind of a form of, I guess, kidnapping or hostage taking um, and they did lift the restrictions finally even though the CECC did warn them that they should be following the CECC guidelines and this was not actually part of the CECC guidelines um, but the central government didn't intervene into what is quite obviously a, a huge intrusion into these you know the, the civil rights of these individuals because Every, they come in contact with Taiwanese, Taiwanese come in contact with everyone else, and the, the, there was no specific good reason to target uh, foreign workers. Now, the, the restrictions have been lift, lifted, but individual companies are still continuing to keep 
restrictions in place. For example, there's one large company that I saw online that they were apparently lifting the restrictions to the point of they would allow them for 45 minutes a week to go out and do whatever they wanted. That's it for the entire week. Um, So a lot of these companies are still actually keeping their own internal restrictions in place and regardless of what the county government does. And Michael, I mean, do you think this, obviously this happened in Miaoli County. Right. Do you think this would, they could have, they would have got away with this in Kaohsiung or Taipei, for example, where maybe the city government might well have not erred on the side of like making a mistake? I would certainly hope so. I would hope that uh, our larger municipalities would have a more international uh, uh, mindset because the language used in Miao Li was one of the things that troubled me the most. If you looked at some of those Chinese characters for uh, the terms that they use, it was almost akin to keep your pets indoors or you know, keep, keep the things that belong to you under control. I, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Donovan, but that's the, the, the feeling that you get from, from reading some of those edicts that were put yeah. out there. And then totally uh, when the commissioner would go on television and talk as well, again, you just get this feeling of like, do you, you do realize that these are human beings and they, they're, they're legal workers here. And like, it was just shocking. So yes, I would certainly hope that if it were Kaohsiung or Taipei, that it would have been a very, very different story. I can add to that. And this is something that's interesting is I was looking at the, the wording there and you're absolutely right to call attention to the wording. It really did come across as very, very much like, you know, your pets or your children. Um, is that when I, because I do, in doing the Central Taiwan reports here, of course I cover Taichung, Zhanghua, and Miao Li. And I've noticed that Zhanghua and Miao Li are much more likely to use that sort of language uh, that kind of refers to foreign workers as if they were not quite human or something that needed to be brought under control, like children. Um, Taichung does things which are not exactly that are a little bit iffy to be to put it mildly but they tend to get their language a little bit better and they're less likely to put in these kinds of policies uh, compared to Nanto and especially Zhanghua. Zhanghua has been uh, particularly restrictive and punitive and discriminatory I think against uh, foreign workers. I guess uh, ignorant would be the, 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 the most fair term. Yeah, that that would definitely be an applicable term. And before we go this week, as we have Michael on the show, who has a couple of sprogs at home with him, a survey by the Taiwan Fund for Children and Families this week showed that the recent domestic coronavirus outbreak and the Level 3 coronavirus alert, which has forced people to stay at home with their children more, because, of course, many companies have a work-from-home policies. Well, apparently this, this living at home constantly with your children is affecting the relationship between parents and their children, with more than half of the respondents to the survey by the group saying they're feeling negative emotions so michael are you feeling negative emotions uh, i have to confess uh, yeah absolutely it uh, it is not fun living with your children <laughs> i mean you get a break uh, most of the weekdays as they go to school and you know you get a little time to recharge and you pick them up and you're back in a in a, a, a good mood and ready for the evening fight but uh, when it's 24 uh, 7 uh, my wife and i both work at home and we have one 13 year old and one eight year old and they squat 
squabble all day while we're trying to get stuff done, and uh, it's uh, it's a form of torture, and it hasn't been good for the mental health of either the parents or the children. The children are getting scolded perhaps a little bit too harshly. Uh, educationally, the, uh, the whole learning from home thing, it's very easy for you to turn on a computer, uh, log into your class, and then, you know, sort of just turn aside and draw or play Minecraft uh, on another device while the teacher is jabbering away. And it's very hard to say how much of that they're actually absorbing. Uh, younger kids, uh, the, the one of mine who's in the second grade, they didn't have any online learning, at least in this city. They had homework sent over that they had to do and certain things that they would look at, but there wasn't a, a coherent plan for that, so there's educational things. But in general, this uh, uh, last couple of months is not going to do anything to boost the uh, birth rates that Donovan was talking about earlier in Taiwan for the future. Uh, anyone who has kids has been telling horror stories to their friends of what it's been like uh, being being stuck at home. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I, I know a few saints who tell me that they've uh, loved this time that they've had to be able to spend more time with their children, and uh, I, 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 I can do nothing but look up to them with uh, amazement and wonder, but uh, it has been really, really frustrating. And to top it all off, there's been a few uh, mitigating factors or, or, or additional factors, I should say. The weather for the past couple of weeks, we had just like nonstop rain, which meant that we couldn't even take them out for a, a, a walk. So, you know, the parks are all closed. You can't go to any slide or, you know, swing or anything. But we at least could go out for a stroll and burn off a little kid energy. But even that was uh, restricted for, for those weeks. So there was, there was some suffering, at least in southern Taiwan, over the past couple of weeks. Of course, one of the questions in this survey, Michael, was parents apparently responded to it saying they have no idea how to help their children advance their studies, which, of course... Obviously, that's a problem if you're learning, right, you said one of your children was unable to learn remotely. Right. It wasn't that she was unable to learn. It was that there was none offered by the city for that age uh, group. I guess they decided that second graders or second and third graders were just not capable of, uh, uh, you know, being part of an online uh, program. So they used a a different system where uh, you got all the textbooks back from school, you read or studied by yourself, and then did some very simple basic homework. So it's fair to say that the younger one uh, lost two months or three months of education and basically just did some very simple uh, character writing and a couple simple math problems. The older one is a junior high school student and she's required every morning to log into an actual class. But, you know, there's hundreds of kids in there. They're chatting amongst themselves in a line group or... and. you, you could sit there and you could sit over her shoulder the entire time and force her to study, and I know there's some parents that do do that, but I've got to work, and so does my wife. So we have to sort of trust that she'll sit there and do that, and, you know, not, nothing against 13-year-olds, but, you know, they're, they're not exactly enthusiastic about studying on their own for the most part. So, yeah, it's been very uh, frustrating and very difficult, and I think uh, we, we did uh, probably, generally, uh, we, most of us have lost a, you know, a couple months of education to, to this uh, shutdown. And we won't bother talking to Donovan about this because he doesn't have any wee ones. No, I don't. That's and what not that I'm aware not of. planning on having any after this. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but I, the, I'm, not actually, I'm actually not making this up. An ex of mine did approach me about adopting her daughter over the last week. 
obviously you won't be doing that having just listened to Michael. And no, that's definitely what, not. <laughs> and, that's what, and that's what we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined on the telephone today by Donovan Smith in Taijong. Great to be here. And in Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Always a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.